This is all theater. This is all just political theater. Political theater. Political theater. Pure political theater. Theater. Political theater. The nefarious, significant, and protracted political, political, political theater for political theater's sake. I yield back. From Washington, this is Political Theater. Roll Call's review of the spectacle of politics on Capitol Hill and across the country. I'm Jason Dick. Hundreds of South Carolinians paying their respects to former Governor Fritz Holling today. Holling's casket was carried to the State House this morning. Crowds of people turned out for the public viewing. Senator Ernest Fritz Hollings died on April 6 and was laid to rest in his native South Carolina on Tuesday. Among those celebrating the life of this line of the Senate was his former colleague Joe Biden, the former senator and vice president. Biden remembered him as a friend, a mentor, and as a key figure in not just the South, but in U.S. history. He ended up taking a chance on me. He saw something in me that I wasn't sure existed, but he believed in me. Fritz Holling, a Democrat from South Carolina, was truly one of the most unique personalities to ever grace the United States Senate. Uh, He certainly had a way with words, with wit, and he was quite accomplished in his legislative prowess over the years. And before he got to the United States Senate, he was the governor of South Carolina during some rather turbulent times during the civil rights era. Here to discuss some of Holling's legacy and particularly that transitional point in his in his life uh, in the in the time in the South uh, where he was governor and then as a senator is my good friend, Kirk Victor. Uh, we were previously colleagues at National Journal and now he is at FTC Watch and he wrote a book with Senator Hollings. A few years back. Kirk, welcome to Political Theater. Thanks for having me, Jason. So just a little bit about your um, just your your time writing uh, this this book with Senator Hollings, how that came about before we get into some of his legacy uh, and, and some of your observations about that. Well, surprisingly, the senator reached out to me and invited me to his office in the Senate. He said, look around. There are all these boxes. I'm out of here pretty soon. I'd like to write a book, and uh, I'm interested in maybe having you help me. And so we talked for all matter of things for about a half hour or so, and I walked out. He never said, well, okay, let's do it. And then uh, a few weeks later, he called, and he said, so when do we start? So it was a little bit of a surprise uh, to me, and... uh, uh, I was excited to work with him. As you say, he was a giant of the Senate. And, uh, and just, uh, an, uh, I would say, a, a very interesting uh, person all around. He had an acerbic wit that sometimes got him in trouble and maybe sometimes obscured uh, his accomplishments. But I spent about, uh, I'd say, six months uh, back and forth from D.C. to South Carolina uh, and— uh, we talked a lot, and I scribbled furiously, and it's his book. I always stress this. I helped him write his book. Uh, he is, has a very, or had, uh, a, just a very determined style. He knew what he wanted to say, and I was there to help him uh, say it. And this was, he left the Senate uh, right after the 2004 elections, retired, uh, so he, he was a private citizen in 2005. Uh, but as 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 you mentioned, you know this uh, the book came out in two thousand eight, uh, and so, right. you, so you spent a couple of years uh, working with him on it. And there was a lot there because I mean he he had already had a a, a fairly uh, distinguished career before he even got to the Senate. I mean he was uh, in in local politics and then made his way to the governor's mansion. 
1958 in in South Carolina, which just happened to be one of the more uh, uh, challenging times to be a politician uh, in, in in the South, in particular, as you know, in the wake of Brown versus Board of Education and and, civil, and a lot of debate over civil rights. Absolutely, he came in and uh, he initially had supported segregation, although he knew and he said this that times were changing and the state was going to have to change. And he knew that really early on before he was governor, but the only way he could get elected, sadly, was to run as a segregationist. But astonishingly, at the end of his term, uh, which was 1962-63, it was the end of 62, he decided to give a speech, a farewell address to the state legislature in which he said, you know, we have run out of courts. This is it. Times have changed. Harvey Gantt, an African-American who has gone on to be mayor of Charlotte, North Carolina, had applied to Clemson. And essentially, he didn't put it this way, but we shouldn't be standing in the door to prevent Harvey Gantt's admission. And his, his senior staff had urged him not to give that speech, let his successor take the heat for that, because he was 40 years old at that point, a young man, and uh, was politically ambitious. And they thought by wading into that, he was just going to get himself in trouble. But he had made the turn, and to his credit, Uh, 1962 in the South to give that speech was remarkable because the legislature would have followed him either way, any which way he went, and uh, he, he did the right thing. And I, I, I might note, uh, this is a good time uh, for a programming note on you yourself. Uh, I mean, you are a son of the South yourself. You're from Savannah, uh, you know, sort of not, not too far away from Hollings' native Charleston. Uh, and so these issues uh, are not are not something that are distant from from when you were growing up. I mean, is, you you were you were right in the middle of this. You previously, uh, before you uh, saw the light and became a journalist, you were also worked in the Justice Department. So you, I mean, you're a lawyer, uh, an alleged lawyer, I guess. No. Alleged. <laughs> let's let's call it alleged. Uh, Definitely yeah, no, lapsed. I, I'm just kidding. Uh, but uh, but you're you're a lawyer, so you're steeped in a lot of of these issues. And you know what what that has always fascinated me about Hollings' career, which is that, I mean, that image of standing in the door to prevent Harvey Gantt from registering at Clemson, that wasn't an abstract uh, set of imagery to use, because at the same time, George Wallace was standing in the door preventing people from enrolling at the University of Alabama. Uh, he, he was challenging, you know, the, the president of the United States to, you know, bring on the marshals. You know, I mean, he was, there was a, creating a, a real crisis in the South. And, you know, instead of standing in the door, like some of his Democratic statewide officeholder colleagues like George Wallace or Strom Thurmond, uh, who he would go on to serve in the Senate for years, he went a different direction, and that that is to me is extraordinary. Like that that that's a that's a story that I mean we focus a lot on what on what Hollings did in the Senate with childhood hunger and then so forth, but like that is a moment that's a transitional moment in our history. It definitely is. And not only that, he told the then Attorney General, Bobby Kennedy, don't send federal troops. I can, I can navigate this to make it uh, happen peacefully. And they orchestrated a lot of efforts behind the scenes to enable Harvey Gantt to, get, uh, to enter 
uh, Clemson without uh, violence. And uh, to me, the senator and then governor deserves huge credit for that. Just enormous. And and also, I mean, you know, Clemson is not in, in Charleston, uh, but I mean, but Hollings was a is a child of Charleston. That's where he was born. He went to the Citadel uh, Military Academy before going into uh, service in, in World War II uh, himself. And, um, you know, Charleston is this is where the Civil War started. I mean, like th- this is a this is an area that is, you know, is as steeped in racial politics as it gets. I, I just wonder, I mean, like that is. Um, that that is one of those moments. I mean, was that something that you knew about Hollings before you made your way up to Washington and and started studying the Senate as a person? Was that something that, like, where even at the time people were like, "Whoa"? I, I have to confess, I did not know that about him, and really didn't until I started covering the Senate. I mean, I knew he was a progressive Southern governor, uh, but I didn't know the details and didn't know just the steps that he took and the things that he did that were pretty amazing and that he went on to do early on in his Senate career uh, to that end. So really quite remarkable. And you, you mentioned the wit. We got a way better group of senators. We had uh, Senator uh, five drunks or six drunks when I came here. To the- There's nobody drunk in the United States Senate. We don't have time to to, to be drunk. And we got more than that. We've got the women. If you covered Hollings, you had sort of a, you know, sort of a catalog of of some of the, you know, sort of more colorful quotes. And, you know, without getting into some of the ones that got him into trouble necessarily, I think my my favorite one was, you know, he, he had a way of speaking plainly about the budget which is not the easiest thing to speak plainly about. And, he, and at one point, I think he was asked about, you know, the, the deficit and the debt. And he said, like, sure, they might be able to, to, to cut the deficit, but if they ever get rid of the debt, I'll jump off the Capitol building myself or something along those lines. And it was just this. And, and if, to have somebody talk about the budget and appropriations process in a way that anybody could understand, I think, is one of those gifts uh, that not, not th- that many public officials have. Uh, I, absolutely. He absolutely plain spoken. His tongue did get him in trouble uh, any number of times. But on issues such as that, he could uh, put things into a frame that everybody could understand. He was quite accomplished at that. So uh, in, in the book it, itself, I mean, what were you what were some of the things that you were the most surprised about as you did your research? Because as I remember when we were at National Journal, you did spend a pretty decent amount of time heading down to Columbia to, you know, like look through his papers, you know, in, in the governor's mansion and uh, the University of South Carolina, I believe, and, and so forth. And so, like, there was a lot to sift through uh, in a long career. What were some of the things that, that, you know, kind of either surprised you or kind of enlightened you in a way that you wouldn't, you hadn't expected when you started the, the project of writing the book? I, I think one of the things, and again, this is not something you think of when you think of his long career, his strong uh, uh, efforts to uh, deal with a budget deficit, et cetera, was hunger. And what he did, he went on a hunger tour in the state, and he took an incredible amount of grief from his both fellow Democrats and citizens because Uh, They thought he was going to discourage tourism. They thought he was simply out to get the African-American vote. And just I'm going to one anecdote that uh, just uh, I always find interesting, the the political byplay of all of this. 
Uh, Bobby Kennedy at that point was thinking of running for president and was going to go on his own hunger tour, and he was coming to South Carolina. And the senator said, if you come here, it will harden the opposition of local officials to what I want to do. I know exactly how I want to get this done to really help folks in distress. If we get a, a liberal like you down here, I'm doomed. And Kennedy said, well, the plans have, have been made. I'm, I'm coming. And he said, okay, well, then what I'm going to do is go to Harlem. And I'm going to tour Harlem, and I'm going to call the TV cameras in, and every rat that is eating a child's <laughs> eye, I'm going to make sure to ask, where is Bobby Kennedy? And uh, Mr. Kennedy decided to skip South Carolina. <laughs> Which, I mean, and now when you think about the outsized role that South Carolina plays in presidential politics in particular, uh, it, it's almost, uh, you know, you, you have to pay attention to those, like, political, the optics, if you will, even even more. Um, and and I, I should mention, too, that, the, you know, one of the things that came, came out in a lot of the coverage of, of Holling's career and him getting into trouble uh, was when he... Um, he, he introduced Howard Metzenbob, the Democrat from Ohio, the, his Democratic colleague from Ohio, as the senator from B'nai B'rith. Metzenbaum's Jewish, uh, you know, and people were kind of aghast even even back in the day. I mean, like, never mind right now how this would go over. Uh, but people were, you know, sort of taken aback. Uh, Metzenbaum wasn't because he worked with him on particularly on child hunger issues. I mean, this is where a liberal Democrat now from from the north uh, in, in Ohio and a, and a you know, a, a, a senator from the south uh, were actually finding common cause. Absolutely. And he worked with George McGovern very closely, uh, the 1972 Democratic presidential candidate. And a fellow World War II vet. Too. Fellow World War II vet, very liberal and uh, that and and you know Hollings endorsed JFK for governor uh, for president in 1960, and the there was a lot of anti-Catholicism and uh, issues with Kennedy. The, the the amazing thing about the senator that is overlooked is the number of stances that he took that clearly hurt him politically, and he still did it now. The outlier in that is that he did not support the uh, nomination of Thurgood Marshall, which he regretted ever after that. But he said, had I voted to confirm uh, Thurgood Marshall to the Supreme Court, I would never have been elected again. And the, the, one of those weird bookends is that he actually did uh, vote for Thurgood Marshall's replacement on the court. Uh, Clarence Thomas, uh, who couldn't be more different politically uh, Absolutely. From, from, from him. Well, Kirk, I really appreciate you, uh, you know, coming on, on the show and, and talking a little bit about this. I, I, I appreciate, you know, just, I mean, the, your depth of knowledge about the subject, you know, as, as somebody from the South, as somebody who wrote this book with Hollings, and also just like your, uh, you know, your great coverage of the Senate for years and years at National Journal. So thank you very much for, for coming by. Thank you, Jason. I really appreciate it. Also, I should we should mention too that you can probably still pick up a copy of 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 the book, uh, "Making Government Work." Ernest F. Fritz Hollings with Kirk Victor. Uh, I'm sure it's on Amazon or 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 one of those things, or maybe up on Capitol Hill Books. Uh, yeah, you, maybe you never so. Know. Maybe so. Yes. <laughs> And thank you for joining us. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, NPR One, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And please take a moment to rate us on iTunes. For more on this and other stories, you can visit RollCall.com or find us on Twitter at RollCall. Thank you for listening.